Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Anonymous Was A Woman. My name is Astrid Edwards and once again, I am your host this week. I will be joined by Helen McCabe, the founder and CEO of Future Women. This week, our topic is questioning. We have two wonderful works of fiction that we both adore to discuss this week. And I can assure you that next week we will be joined once again by Jamila Rizvi. In the meantime, thanks as always must go to Hachette Publishing for making this podcast possible. Welcome back to Anonymous Was a Woman. Helen, how are you going this week? Yeah, I'm great this week and thank you for having me back. Oh, absolutely loving it. (laughs) The theme this week is questioning. So I have a big question to ask you, Helen, and I know there's no definitive answer, but you are an intelligent woman and I really want to know what you think. So... We all know how 2020 and 2021 has gone, but I want to cast forward and think about 2022. What do you think will be different then, if anything? So I went into 2021 wondering quite actively what would go wrong because so much went wrong in 2020 and 2021 had this incredible sense of hope for me around it. The pandemic was over. A lot of my work and life had shaken out into a calmer, you know, a less driven, less commercially orientated, less success, less power, less influence, less stuff. And I was in a very good place and I thought, could I just have a year? And here we are. So we're in September. We've got rising deaths, rising cases in New South Wales. Couldn't ever have imagined that I would be in weeks and months of lockdown in New South Wales. The state's all at odds. The Prime Minister under threat and under huge amounts of criticism over his handling of a Me Too Mark II event. So if I cast through to next year, I'm going to apply the same level of hope that I applied this year. I do think we're going through a seminal period of time and that next year will be full of hope. I think we will have a great appreciation of the simpler things of life. I think we all know that a sunny day changes our emotional state quite dramatically. Now we knew that as a concept previously, but now we physically feel it and see it because we're allowed outside for a briefer period of time and the sun shining makes a massive difference. We have been able to live without a new shirt, pair of shoes, handbag. We know the value of seeing our friends and our family because we can travel to see them. So I guess I'm going to say that next year could be a really beautiful, calm, year in which we live more consciously and more mindfully and appreciate the things that we have to be thankful for. I really like that expression of hope that is backed up by actual thought. Thank you, Helen. You run a business, you run Future Women. And I guess I have another question. What do you think work will look like? And I guess I'm asking for those of us who are office workers or, you know, work in the the knowledge economy, I guess. Yeah, I do think there are two parts to this. I think there are 
educated women, and I'm going to talk about women specifically here, educated women who have now got flexibility. They can work from home. But I'm cautious about it because I completely accept that if you're not in the office and you're not in front of the boss, it's very hard to be seen. It's hard often for women to be seen anyway. So I think that flexible working has two components to it and we need to be a little bit careful about it. I do also think we are much more mindful of what life looks like in a two-bedroom, you know, rented apartment with children. And we're aware now that they're the group that have suffered greatest in the pandemic. There was a moment, I think, where the world thought the pandemic would treat all of us equally and it hasn't done. Yeah, well-educated women will do well out of it. But how it looks for that secondary group, if the economy starts to falter, I know I'm undermining my sense of hope, but if the economy starts to falter and I don't have an answer to that, there will be pressure on women's jobs. And there is already with retail and hospitality, they could come back roaring back to life. But I think, and what we do at FW is think a lot around how we skill women for that next phase of the economy. And we will go into an election year, so money will be thrown around. So that'll be a good thing in one sense, but ultimately the country has to come to terms with the extraordinary debt that's been piled onto the generations behind us. Thinking about the generations behind us, the two books that we are discussing today, two works of fiction, these two works of fiction centre around the lives of women in their very early 20s. And before we get on to these books, I just want to ask you a question specifically about young women in their early 20s, certainly haven't been in the workforce for 20, 30, 40 years. What do you think 2022 will look like for that generation of women? We come into contact with them quite a lot in Future Women. And the first thing I'm going to say is they're highly educated and they're very bright. They got the best marks at school. They are the first ones in the door at university. They're the ones most likely to do another degree. So they're highly skilled. I think they're going to be increasingly sought after. I think Australia is a bit slower than some of the other developed countries in this space. But, and I might just be know in a bit of an echo chamber here but I do think organizations are genuinely committed to getting gender diversity into their ranks so I think there is real opportunity for young women to seize the moment they don't see it like that they are seizing the moment so they know what their worth is and they know they should be treated equally and that they are probably better than their male colleagues at their jobs and are standing up so I think there's real joy in that for that generation you know it's still scary walking home at night and one more point i think on the consent issue i think there is a real movement on consent and i think a great debate is being had led by young women and i think in my lifetime very few sports stars are going to be able to stand in a little court and say oh I didn't know she wasn't enjoying it. Whereas we've had a couple of cases in recent times and many over my adult life where that's been a defence that's been accepted. I think that will increasingly be not a defence that a young man will be able to mount successfully. And so that'll be a great outcome for women who are victims of sexual assault. Here's that, Helen. That is an excellent change that is hopefully so close and we can all see very, very soon. Can you feel that too? Do you think I'm right about that? I do. I do think that you're right, Helen. I don't think it's coming fast enough by any means, <laughs> but I do see that change and damn it, it's good. Yeah, it does. It feels good to be able to just say, actually, society's just not going to cop that anymore. Helen, 
Today we have two works of fiction, Small Joys of Real Life by Ali Richards and Other People's Clothes by Carla Henkel. Both deal with women in their early 20s facing life and adulthood and everything that the world can throw at them. Let's get started. As your listeners know, I'm sort of feeling in a bit for Jamila and this is Small Joys of Real Life. And I know this is a podcast, but I want you all to go and have a look at it as a cover. It's a beautiful cover. I absolutely love it. It's green and pink and it's got a beautiful girl in a sort of a a piece of artwork on a bicycle in a green dress. The author is Ali Richards. And I'm really excited to be talking to you about this book because this writer is super talented. That is always good to hear. Now, I confess, Helen, I haven't yet read Ali's book. So what drew you into the plot? What drew you into the story? Well, firstly, I'm going to say I was amused by the plot originally because this is the kind of book that Jamila would love. She loves a great kind of teenage angsty young girl coming of age script and storyline, and it's usually not my bag, right? So I did laugh that I picked up this particular book. It's a story about Eva and she's a actor and she's very successful. So she's on Home and Away, I think, or she's on Neighbours or whatever the equivalent is, but does everything. She gets nominated for a Logie halfway through the plot and it's really well done. So Ali Richards has been nominated for awards and this is her first book and I wanted to say you're going to hear a lot more about her. But it starts with best friends, Sarah and Ali and Annie is the third. And Sarah is pregnant. She's that classic party girl, too much drinking, far too much drinking, always forgets what she did the night before. And she's decided to have an abortion. And Ali's taking her to the clinic and looking after her. But the stage Ali knows she's pregnant as well. Doesn't tell Sarah. But they have that awkward conversation where one's deciding that they don't want the pregnancy and the other one does. But the really interesting thing about Ali's predicament is that the father committed suicide and he did that shortly after Ali and the father, Pat, became an item. And so she didn't know a lot about him, but she wants to keep the baby. So it's that classic keep the baby story, but... The title is the bit that I think is the fun part, Small Joys of Real Life. Like she really does distill life down to the small joys and does that really beautifully. That feels like a skill these days in 2021. We are all looking for the small joys of real life. But as you were talking and, you know, the two main characters are making different decisions about whether or not they choose to have an abortion, I can't help but think of what is playing out in America at the moment, the challenge to Roe v. Wade, the kind of behind the backdoor weird legislative way in Texas that overturns Roe v. Wade in that particular state. And I have to admit, I've gone down an obsessive podcast hole exploring all of that. And I guess my question to you is, Given what appears to be the growing influence and reach of the conservative movement in the US and maybe even in Australia, particularly in relation to a woman's right to choose, did that pop into your mind at any point as you were reading the story of these young women? No, and the reason is because Australia, we just had a totally different view of that. You know, I think there's a certain degree of respect for the sheer difficulty of this decision. And I'm going to flip it a bit. I think there's a respect for 
girls who decide to keep the baby. I mean, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, it was still reasonably common for girls to feel under enormous pressure to have abort babies. Whereas the interesting thing about this book is it's completely normalised to keep the baby. And there's, apart from a mother, the character Eva's mother was a single mum who's very worried about how she's going to make money and who the father is. There's just no judgment of either of them, actually. And again, I, and I'm interested to hear what you think about how this has shifted. She goes to all sorts of events, continues an entire relationship with some random bloke called Travis who knows she's pregnant, doesn't know who the father is and doesn't ask too many questions. So for me, it was kind of interesting. It was quintessentially Australian. It was set in Melbourne. It was in Fitzroy, Brunswicky, you know. She's given a book about motherhood that a bunch of women had written essays around what it's like to have a baby. And I was like, that book was definitely written by Javilla. The motherhood edited by <laughs> yes. Javilla Rizvi. Yes, yes. So that's what amused me that I was reviewing this book. But the lack of judgment about her decision and even the lack of judgment by the baby's father's parents who are then brought into it. So look, America, crazy town, kind of just black it out, just don't look there and just be really proud of how we handle these very difficult subjects. We do do it better in Australia. I admit I live with an American and that's why I uh, go down these routes quite often. So you can't just black it out. Sorry. No, I would love to black it out. Honestly, I really, really (laughs) would. I think you're right. You asked what I think of in terms of judgment or changing responses in Australia. And I think you're right. I think that people, especially younger generations, but across all generations are not judging as they used to. And that is a beautiful thing. I think that institutions are taking a while to catch up. And I give you a a specific concrete example. I work in the university system. I have had students who are pregnant and who are young mothers or new mothers. And the building that I work in still doesn't have a place for them to breastfeed. And so they've been either not coming to class or breastfeeding in the really revolting bathrooms. And that is something the university knows and they haven't managed to fix it. So, you know, I think that institutions impose problems even when people don't. Absolutely. And, you know, we didn't have childcare in Parliament House until recently. And, you know, babies is such a precious thing, right? So the fact that we haven't got a better system to support babies whenever they turn up. Anyway, that's a segue. I shouldn't have even gone back there. Let's go back to happy things. Let's go back to happy things. Small Joys of Real Life by Ali Richards. And coming up next are The People's Clothes by Kala Henkel. Last week, you and I didn't like the fiction novel that we discussed. And we have got a bit of reaction about that. But I am so pleased that we both enjoyed the books we are bringing today. And I unexpectedly really loved Other People's Clothes by Kala Henkel. Like last week, I picked up this novel, new novel, debut novel, because I was looking for something a bit light. You know, everything else feels heavy. I was looking for light fiction to enjoy and to escape my life in Melbourne and lockdown. It really, really worked. Other People's Clothes is the story of two 20-year-old women. They are both in the United States and they are in art school in New York. Now, Zoe is working class. She was raised by a single mother. She is only able to afford to go to art school in New York because she's on a full scholarship. She gets to art school 
really not functioning very highly. A few months beforehand, her best friend from childhood and her teenage years, Ivy, was murdered. She was stabbed. So Zoe is really quite traumatised and she is trying to rebuild her life in a new city. The other main character is Haley. Haley is a trust fund kid. Her parents are very wealthy. She doesn't have trouble with money. She idolises those women who were famous kind of about 10 years ago, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton. She absolutely idolises that form of famous femininity, if I can put it that way. And they both decide to go on a year to Berlin on exchange doing art school in Berlin. This was all set in 2009, which was directly after the financial crisis, but also about a year and a half after Amanda Knox was accused of killing her roommate and fellow exchange student, Meredith Kirchner. So they feature, or at least the media around them, feature hugely in this novel because the two main characters, Zoe and Haley, in particular Haley kind of want to create art in their own lives and Haley is obsessed with famous women and she thinks that Amanda Knox is famous on a level with Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears and she wants to create art like that and so it's really quite discomforting the obsession with fame the obsession with Andy Warhol making art of his own life that kind of thing so you kind of don't really trust either one of these women. Zoe is grieving for her best friend Ivy, who was murdered. Haley is weirdly obsessed with Amanda Knox and famous female celebrities. But at the same time, they have this really quite lovely female friendship. They borrow each other's clothes. They kind of end up dressing like each other. They are trying to forge a friendship and a life and an art practice in a city where only one of them is fluent in German. So they kind of fall into the expat community. And it is that whole kind of going abroad and finding yourself thing, right? But, and here is where the interesting thing that really started to fascinate me, they rent an apartment as all exchange students do, but in their case, they rent an apartment from an older woman called Beatrice, who is a famous writer. So they think they're very cool. They think that they are, this is their way into a career and to art and to the sexy writing, literary art, alternative movement in Berlin. And then it turns out that someone is spying on them and they both just evolve into paranoia. They are young. There is all sorts of drugs everywhere. They are unreliable narrators, as I said before. It's kind of turns into like a mystery thriller and it opens with, you know, that one of them ends up in a psych ward because that's on the first page. And so, you know, something really bad happens. And there's this spectre of an older woman spying on them. There's this spectre of Amanda Knox in reality. There's the spectre of Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears losing the plot publicly and being vilified for it. And you wonder what way are these two young girls going to go? So as someone who reads voraciously, the thing about this is you've not seen a plot like this and you don't know where it's going, right? So my book, I know it's all going to have a pretty much a happy ending, but you don't know. No, you don't know. So you know that something bad happens, clearly. You know that from the blurb on the back, you know that from the first page, but you don't exactly know what. And about two thirds of the way through, I didn't guess what bad thing was going to happen. I did guess who I thought might have done it, but it wasn't like when you read like a really bad crime novel and you can see it coming and it's just a waste of time. I didn't know if I guessed right. And it's just a really thrilling, relaxing read. Now, I mean, I've mentioned some really traumatic things, famous women being vilified by the media, an exchange student being murdered and having her story splashed over the international news. There are discomforting things here, but also this is, at its core, a story of 
two 20-year-old women trying to figure out the world and how they can make it in a really competitive world. And they are quite sweet with each other. They cook for each other and they borrow each other's clothes and they spend an awful lot of time together because, you know, they're in Berlin and they don't really know anybody else. And I spent six months in Paris, you know, sharing a very tiny one bedroom apartment with a girlfriend. And, you know, it gave me happy memories, right, of a period earlier in my life. But I guess you're right. I haven't read a book like this before. And I really, really love it. Listeners of Anonymous Was a Woman will know that maybe I have questionable choices sometimes and sometimes I read too many serious books, but I just loved it. It was an escapist read that made me happy, that felt like it was well worth my time, that caused me to think and ask questions, but in a way that I can totally handle in Melbourne's lockdown. Like it gave me the escape I was looking for. And that's pretty remarkable. This is a debut book. So the author, Kayla Henkel, is actually an American writer and she actually is an artist and a writer and she lives in Berlin. So I suspect that the depiction of the apartments and the party life is probably based on a bit of her own experience. I just want to have to say to you that Ali Richards, who has written this, is also a theatre technician. It's her first book and she works in the theatre in Melbourne. So she talks a lot about the arts as well. The other thing about it, and there's two other things I'd like to explore. One is that friendship. It's three girlfriends that, you know, she depends on the two girlfriends. One drinks too much. The other one's too sensible. Uh, the sensible one ends up with the heartbreak, leaving the perfect boyfriend. The non-sensible one, of course, is always really there, you know. But there's a lot of drugs too. Like there's a fairly, I guess, cavalier attitude to drug taking as kind of not really an issue. How did your writer handle drugs? There are drugs everywhere, hardcore <laughs> drugs. Drugs are used in a really offhand fashion. They are everywhere. You know, everybody's taking an upper or a downer. But it's also particularly set in a scene that is known for its drugs. So, you know, this is Berlin about 11, 12 years ago. And it's the party scene, like they're often, you know, lining up to get into a cool party and often, <laughs> often being rejected, et cetera, et cetera. But drugs are used cavalierly, but they also have unintended and terrible consequences as you get towards the end of the novel. So they're not glorified. I know I was, I guess, just reflecting on how similar my background is. I was in Canberra as a journalist at 20. I mean, my idea of a big night out was to go to a bar and talk to political staffers around what policy was going to go through the Senate the next day. So, you know, I, I often joke that I missed an entire youth that normal people had with drugs. And so this makes it seem just very unremarkable that you do lines of coke or whatever else to get through the day. Yeah. Look, I think a lot of people do. I think it's also subcultures or maybe even industries where drugs are more acceptable or more expected. One of the subplots in other people's clothes is Zoe. One of the main characters actually realizes she's gay. She comes out as a lesbian. And this is just a minor point in the plot. It is not the focus. Uh, there is no big reveal. It's just part of her growth and what she learns about herself. But she learns that about herself when she's high and partying and her inhibitions are gone and she realizes that she's attracted to women. So I guess the use of drugs here is an avenue for both of the main protagonists, Zoe and Haley, to lose their inhibitions and explore themselves and come to their own decisions about what they choose to do. And for the listeners out there, all of the choices are quite remarkable. And look, once again, 
really enjoyed this. Go find Other People's Clothes by Kala Henkel. Love it. Thank you so much. I'm re- actually really looking forward to reading that. That's got me quite excited. Thank you for listening to Anonymous Was a Woman this week. We will be back in your feeds this Thursday with Jamila Rizvi with the podcast special for Melbourne Writers Festival. Thank you again to Hachette Publishing and thanks also to Future Women and Bad Producer Productions. 